Isaac Quainall, Tom Stewart. Now that KO has 4K, people will see every detail. I better wash my hair. Oh, I'll book in a spray tan. Maybe a manicure? I'm shining up my tats. Experience amazing detail with 4K. Now on KO. Hello everybody and welcome to another Black Hole Classics, or Classic, whichever you want to call it. I haven't quite decided yet on the title. My, <laughs> my name is uh, Tony Black, I'm your host as ever, um, and this of course is a, a offshoot of Black Hole Cinema, which is the normal podcast whereby we review all the uh, traditional films of the day. This offshoot, which we've had one of before, um, is about the greats, the momentous brilliant moments of film and we get someone on and they talk about what film they've chosen that they adore and that he's he's a genuine classic and this week um it's the turn of mr owen hughes hello 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 thanks for having me thank you for coming on owen you're uh, guest number two uh owen of course is from fail critics who uh have a wonderful podcast that's on uh, at least once weekly and yeah so thanks yeah. owen Thank, no, well, thank you for describing it as a wonderful podcast. Not many people do, so uh, well, you <laughs> we paid, take praise wherever we can. Well, you paid me well, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. So, Owen, what what classic are we talking about today that you've picked? We are talking about possibly the greatest science fiction film, the greatest film of all time, even. Battlefield um, Earth. No, it's not, I'm afraid. Well, it's not. We might There's nothing up here. Let's yeah. It's not that. It's not that. We would never induct that to this. <laughs> that, no, just no. I'm not even entertaining no. that idea. We are instead talking about Stanley Kubrick's 1968 sci-fi 2001 A Space Odyssey. Welcome to voice print identification. When you see the red light go on, would you please state in the following order. Your destination, your nationality, and your full name. Moon, American, Floyd, Haywood R. Thank you. You are cleared through voice print identification. Thank you. Quite frankly, we have had some very reliable intelligence reports that quite a serious epidemic has broken out into claims. I know there have been some conflicting views held by some of you regarding the need for complete security. Something apparently of an unknown origin. However, I accept the need for absolute secrecy in this. This is in fact what has happened. I would love to discuss this. We thought it might be the upper part of some buried structure, so we excavated out on all sides, but unfortunately we didn't find anything else. It hasn't been covered up by natural erosion or other forces. It seems to have been deliberately buried. Four million-year-old black monolith has remained completely inert, except for a single, very powerful radio emission. Wow. Ah, yeah, I mean, you can't, you couldn't go very, like, far through this series of spin-offs from your, from your podcast without this coming up. 
No, because well, well, uh, the the opening jingle that I've created for Black Hole Classics begins with Alpha yeah. Sprach Zatustra from uh, from the film. Um, the dun, dun, <laughs> dun, dun. So yep. it was. It's, this was inevitable. This was absolutely inevitable. So yeah, I mean, I only watched this film the other day. I mean, this is in preparation for this. I should have watched it many time, many many years ago. So this is completely new to me. So it's wonderful talking about it. So fresh in my mind. Mm. For you, Owen, put simply, yep. what makes this what makes this a classic? It's just the most intelligent sci-fi ever written, ever committed to screen. It just looks absolutely stunning. Mm. Just unbelievably, mind-blowingly, just gorgeous all the way through. It's also, I mean, so prophetic as well in places. I just think it's really cleverly put together. The way that it, it, we'll probably talk about it in a bit more detail in a moment, but the way that it sort of sets up from the very beginning with intelligence and evolution being introduced as like a tool, as a physical Mm. thing, and how through different interactions with intelligence, through the way that we interpret things that have happened and things that are there, that then shapes humanity and the way that we progress. And, yeah, the first time I saw it, I loved it. I thought, this is really good. I I really like this. And then I went, oh, no, Space Baby. This is taking forever towards the end. This is going on. What is this trippy bollocks about? And then... Second time I watched it, I was like, no, this is, this is just a perfect film. This, you know, there aren't many films I would describe as 10 out of 10. Mm. There's perhaps six or seven films I've seen in my life where I'd say, these films are 10 out of 10. Mm. Absolutely 10 out of 10. And 2001 A Space Odyssey is top of those. It's just top of the list. It's just amazing. I think it's, you know, it's because of... I mean, watching this, I was I was struck by by many things about it. But what struck me the most was how people in 1968 must have felt watching this. I mean, you, you're talking about a time when y- you were in the era of things like Barbarella, and <laughs> you, you know that kind of that kind of science fiction. Yeah. Science fiction wasn't a really a thing. It was, or it was the, the B movie kind of, you know, um, stuff. But it was it wasn't taken seriously. And something like this comes along, and it's it's so beyond what it's so incredibly out there with its reach and its mm-hmm. its scope and and he's he's beautiful i mean it, it it felt i genuinely think it's a piece of art it's not just a piece of cinema well yeah it is it absolutely agree with that it's just so uh, beyond just being a movie you know the, 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 maybe that's a bit unfair maybe that then downplays how good it is as a movie because it's still just an ex it's something you experience mm. you know you you watch it and you bring your own um prejudices to it your own interpretations of what's going on and you make your own assumptions about what has happened in the film which is why it it's probably closer to being considered art because it's very art house sort of film as well mm. in that regard mm. But also, I think some of it is just so iconic. And even people who haven't seen it know of it. They know yeah. its influence and what, how it changed science fiction. Because we're talking about a film, like you said, from 1968. We're talking about films that were, you know, Fred Wilcox sort of films before that, that were, that were sci-fi mm. from the 50s. And this came along during the space race, you know. Yeah. It was a year before the moon landing as well, don't forget. And so... It's it, it just, it was completely um, topical at the time to think about mm. 
progressing the human race into outer space. And yeah, it's just incredible. And the script, the, uh, getting Arthur C. Clarke in was just a stroke of genius. Mm. Because getting someone who actually writes science fiction like this for a living, someone who is, you know, on the stroke of being a genius himself, mm. to then get Stanley Kubrick, who is a, a genius director as well. There were no other visionary directors that compared to him, in my opinion. Yeah, I think um, I think he's the greatest motion picture director that's ever lived so far. In, in my in my opinion, I think he's he's just above everybody else. Um, and and trying to marry him, like you say, with with another genius mm. of his field, was was great. Because I mean, I was I was looking into the um, the history of it, you know, after after mm. I watched the film, yeah, and how he, you know, he had this fascination Kubrick for extraterrestrial life, and then he sought out Arthur C. Clarke. And they they spent about four or five years developing what the yeah. script, even though the script ultimately was pared down a massive mm-hmm. lot. I'm sure you know all this, but it was it was pared down, wasn't it, to almost very very little in many places. And and the amount of, I mean, the first twenty minutes, there's no dialogue. I mean, it's 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 amazing. <laughs> it's truly because obviously the first twenty minutes is is set in you know um, prehistoric times with with uh, apes, and that that itself, I mean. That itself is the most remarkable thing because what film before or even since to many degrees has had the bravery to start a film for 20 minutes <laughs> with a bunch of men in ape costumes learning how to, you know, um, yeah. build weapons. Well, I mean, it's amazing. Well, there's barely any dialogue in it at all, yeah, to be fair. Yeah. And, you know, the last 20 minutes, of I don't think I've got any dialogue mm. as such either. So, yeah, to start a film like that, to end it like that, and still to have this profound impact on the, mm. on the viewer um, is just, uh, it's, it's a marvel of, of this sort of cinematic world, really. It, it, it's, it's unbelievable. But the dialogue that is in there, and probably the thing I think most people think of when they think of 2001 A Space Odyssey, particularly those perhaps who haven't seen it, is how yes. the, uh, the artificial intelligence that's aboard the ship and you know the life functions terminated sort of <laughs> yeah sort of flashes and and how he tries to rid his ship you know he sees it as mm. his mission of mm. the humans because they're redundant and it's it's frightening it is terrifying yeah. and it, 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 it it's just a stroke of genius as well because originally he wasn't going to be just a blinking light that was something they they had to introduce as just this solid red dot in the spaceship mm. that saw all, that heard all, that controlled the ship on its own, was dehumanised to the point that he tries to then save himself by singing tunes that will relate to humans, and it's just so cold, so creepy. Like Daisy. Daisy. Oh, when he, when he's like, Daisy. Daisy. And then he gets increasingly... Daisy. Yeah, I, I, used, yeah, I was chilled by that <laughs> but it's it is, brilliant it is it's brilliant and it's brilliantly constructed and also you know because talking about earlier as well in the film with the, the cavemen and they see mm. the bone and they think well this is a club and then mm. that becomes the weapon and the tool how is just the next representation of the tool because he's yeah. to start with you have men who have clubs and then you have men who have spaceships and creators how would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Isaac Quainall, Tom Stewart. Now that KO has 4K, people will see every detail. I better wash my hair. Oh, I'll book in a spray tan. Maybe a manicure? I'm shining up my tats. Experience amazing detail with 4K. Now on KO. The intelligence to power the spaceships, that's the mm. next stage of, of this tool. Mm. And then obviously later on this, this becomes something else that's brought into the, into the film. It's just such an intelligent film. I just, I think, probably too intelligent for me because every time I watch it, I pick up on something else. And I'm sure <laughs> yeah. for the next sort of, I've seen it about four times, I think, in my life and probably will watch it a ton more times as mm. well. And each time, I'm sure something else will be revealed in there. It's one of those things, I think, that it, it is increasingly, you know, it's constantly sort of ahead of its time. I mean, if you, if you, you only have to look at the way, it's, the way it's actually the sets and the set design. I mean... In 1968, you were, you know, and even after that, you you had a lot of like science fiction and a lot of things create the idea of the future, which we've rapidly caught up to and probably exceeded. But Mm. if you look at at 2001, the the idea, I mean, there's a couple of certain dated things like the, you know, the the women in the pink Pan Am sort of costumes (laughs) in space. I mean, that's that's very dated. But you, a lot of it is still very. This does feel like the, the near future, and there's the brilliant. A couple of brilliant things that I discovered: the whole uh, the whole idea that um, Apple um, was sued by Samsung for for the over the iPad, or there was litigation because they accused Apple of basically stealing the iPad from mm. 2001, where Bowman and and Paul are looking are watching the the TV. <laughs> um, they're watching like I think it's Kenneth Kendall, isn't it, talking to to them in the interview, and it's yeah. just like. You know, I mean, that's and you be look, you look at it and you think that is an iPad. I mean, that, it's, <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, yeah. people, there's that wonderful meme from Star Trek: The Next Generation that has an iPad, where Picard has got an iPad. But this is 20 years before that, and already you've got. But we're talking about this is Arthur C. Clarke, though. I mean, Arthur C. Mm-hmm. Clarke he predicted the the online banking. He predicted online, you know, shopping. He, he predicted yeah. most of the innovations that we've got today using computers. So you're talking about people. You know, you you've got a director on the one hand who was incredibly in tune with humanity, even though he was all of his characters are very emotionally distant in a lot of his films, but he, he understands a lot of things about that. And then you've got a, a writer who is a bit of a visionary in terms of the future. And you marry those together and, well, this is what you get completely. Well, precisely, yeah, precisely. It's just the, the culmination of these two geniuses at, at doing everything at the top of their game, really. Yeah. You mentioned about Hal, though, just going back quickly. I mean, mm-hmm. one of the things that I thought was that he, he, oddly to me, felt like the most human character in the film. I think it's because the, the point he's tried to make with Hal is that this is the next stage of, of humans. And we, if you've ever thought of yourself as 
you know, sort of uh, a human and a person and how you fit into the world, if you think about how you do, and if, if it's ever crossed your mind about, well, what do I need to do? What What's my purpose in life? And then to see Hal as the representation of the next thing. It's better than, than man. It's the yeah. next stage of man. And so when you compare that to how... Well, Kubrick is notoriously bad at getting emotions on screen from people. Mm. Um, I don't necessarily agree with it. It's just a reputation that he has as, as being a very cold director. So when you've got the actual humans on, on screen, they somehow seem like inferior. So you don't relate so much to the, to the people as you do to the thing which is trying to yeah, relate to the people. definitely, definitely. So, you know, the only thing I can... I know that seems really pretentious and snobby and stuff, but I think that... No, I think it's true. The, I think it is. I think it is. The reason you relate more to Hal... Uh, or perhaps relate is not quite the word, but the, the reason you can side more with Hal is because you're supposed to. You're supposed mm. to see things in this technical, this efficient, logical way, and that's that's what Hal represents. But it's fascinating that you know that that a machine has those sort of more human characteristics that he's inquisitive and he appreciates art, and then you've mm. got the human characters. And there was what I mean. One of the we're not reading like essays on it. One of the one of the big criticisms of the film is that when Paul dies you don't feel anything for him but I think that's slightly missing the point in that we're not supposed to like you said you know we're yeah. we're not actually that the, that distance with all the characters is there from the beginning whether it's those guys on the on the ship or it's Leighton Floyd beforehand mm. it, it's the it's the journey and the understanding like you said of the different ages the, the evolution across the picture that's the exactly. point and that's why when you get to the end it's it's something that you have to go well I mean the ending, and people people thought that Interstellar, which obviously is two, the new <laughs> two thousand and one, yeah, people yeah. thought that was strange. But this, this is a whole other level of, of bizarre, brilliantly done, bizarre, but so open to interpretation, isn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's interesting though that you mentioned Interstellar because I was about to bring up the same point because <laughs> with with Paul in two thousand one, you could make an argument to compare him to Matt Damon in yeah um, Interstellar. You could actually, but you know it's. That Interstellar is a very Nolan film, and 2001 yeah. is a very Kubrick film. I think yeah. they're very different directors, and I know they do have a lot of similarities, and they share some of the same uh, visions for their films, the scopes that they they want to 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 create in very different ways, mind you. Definitely. Very different ways. And, you know, if Nolan had Arthur C. Clarke writing a script for him, I'm sure he would have come out with something completely different to 2001, mm. but still equally perhaps as good looking. But anyway, yeah. So I mean, um, it's just it's it's arguably my favourite film. I, I tend to swing from, from this to, to other films that I like, but it's the one that's sort of constantly there. It's the one I think is like the best film ever made, perhaps. It's the one I think is also one of my favourites. I, I, just, I, think... I just think every time I, I see it, there's something new. And even with a lot of favourite... Like, I'm going to just put this out there, which is completely different to 2001 Space Odyssey. Um, and we'll sort of counterbalance some of the pretentious waffle that I've been, I've been saying earlier on. But... <laughs> Predator is one of my favourite films. <laughs> but I don't get something new out of it every time I see it. No. I, I watch it because it's comforting and I've, you know, yeah. it's one of these films I grew up with and I just think it's really fun. Whereas yeah. 2001, I watch if I want to scratch my head. If I want to think yes. about something, if you want to be I'll watch it. If I want to be challenged, if I want to, if I just get that itch to see something that's going to make me reevaluate um, mm. how I think about uh, life, people, and stuff. Yeah, and all that kind of thing. Then 2001: Space Odyssey is, is the film I'll reach for first. I think there's definitely a place for both of those kind of things. I think that's important, really, as a, as somebody who enjoys cinema and, and and everything like that. I think 
the world's a better place for having those two very different kind of things. I think yeah. it's, I, I agree with you. It's it's gonna it's now gonna be in my in my all time greats. I I think there is a case for this being the, the greatest film ever made <laughs> that so far. It's it. it it's it's there's a few others that, that obviously are, are surrounding that, but I think this is hard to hard to top on an actual creative level. But I think uh, I think one of the other main reasons for that is the music as well. I mean that's something oh, that really scored just amazing. Well, it, well, it, it's it's interesting that he 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 had a score ready to go, an actual orchestral mm. score, and he ditched that in favour of using classical music. And the, the I mean it's the Blue Danube Waltz mainly is the, is the mm. big one. They, I mean it, it's it's incredible. I mean it, it elevates the whole thing to this quite majestic point and i mean i i've then ha- i've since had that i've created my own soundtrack of this on spotify <laughs> and i've had it on hard rotation for the last two days and it's but i think that i mean kubrick as a director he's always married music to his to his work really and classical music quite often as well very very importantly and he's key but so it's a yeah, recurring yeah, theme but, but i think with this it's it just it empowers the whole thing and it really does elevate it to that level like you said yeah it's a masterpiece isn't it i mean um I don't know how anyone could change it. I know Steven Soderbergh had a go. Have you <laughs> seen? Have you heard about this? I haven't. No, actually. Steven Soderbergh cut the film. He had a go at recutting it. He thought the That's aspect great. ratio was wrong on some release, and he thought that they tainted the the picture quality and all this kind of thing. So he had to go at remastering it himself, and he actually cut it down to a one hour fifty minute film, um, <laughs> which just makes it more accessible. And, and I did watch that, and I thought um, it was good. It was good. It was just as good. You don't really miss any other things, but it's never quite the same as the original. No, is it? and if, um, it was any, if it was anyone other than someone like Soderbergh, you'd have taken offence to that, I think. But someone like yeah. him, who is another great filmmaker, can kind of get away with that kind of thing. But even then, I mean, <laughs> you'd you, know. <laughs> he puts a lot of foreshadowing through the film, which I don't think is there in the original because yeah. he doesn't need it. Really, it's not about foreshadowing. There's no doom to come, but he puts Hal as like the blinking light throughout the film so it just comes up every so often yeah Yeah, which okay makes it a bit more um digestible as a film i guess because Mm. you know i'm fully aware that there are people out there who don't like it and i can totally understand their reasons it is a hard film to watch it takes concentration and Mm. you know if you just start flicking on your phone perhaps or if you just sort of drift off in your own train of thought and forget where you are in the films and things like that can can affect it but you know, for me, it's, it's Kubrick's magnum opus. I think he's done yeah. some fantastic films. Barry Lyndon's another one I really love. Uh, Full Metal Jacket is just amazing. But I'll always come back to two thousand one as as being his best. Yeah, I think I think I, I think A Clockwork Orange affected me more mm-hmm. um, as a masterpiece. But I think this is his best film. Yes, I mean, I, and my fa- I mean, my favourite Kubrick film is The Shining. You know, I, I, it's not his best film, but it's my favourite of his because um, I do love that film. It's one of my top three favourite films. But yeah, this is his best film. I would I would agree with that, and I think it's yeah, I think it's a, a, a real. It's it's possibly the towards the t- the top of the classics that we will ever do on this. We, we've reached we've reached, <laughs> it, we've reached it now. There's no point. You peaked on. early. Yeah, never <laughs> yeah, mind. It's... End of series. Two, end two of... podcasts. <laughs> right <laughs> into the hunter in this. What else do you need? <laughs> that, that's it. Maybe we'll do one on the Godfather, and we're done. <laughs> that, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks then, Owen. That's uh, I think we've I think we've covered that quite well uh, and concisely. So um, yeah, thank you for thank you for talking all things two thousand one. That's all right. Thank you for letting me talk about it because I love to talk about it with people. And it's yeah. So thank you very much. Cheers. It's a it's an absolute pleasure. We'll be back soon um, for yet another classic, although probably not as classic as this one. <laughs> See you again. 
Isaac Quainor, Tom Stewart. Now that KO has 4K, people will see every detail. I better wash my hair. Oh, I'll book in a spray tan. Maybe a manicure? I'm shining up my tats. Experience amazing detail with 4K. Now on KO.